Hey everybody, Ray Lucchese here with Howard Marks here. Welcome to another sponsored episode of the Greybeards on Storage podcast. This Greybeards on Storage podcast is brought to you today by Accelero. It was recorded on October 2nd, 2018. We have with us here today, Josh Goldenhar, VP of Customer Success. So Josh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what's new at Accelero? Thanks very much. Um, uh, once again, this is Josh Goldenhar. Uh, happy to be here. And uh, I am our VP of Customer Success, which uh, is a fancy name for saying that I head up uh, pre-sales, post-sales, and support. And the good thing about that is is that uh, if you have to have support, that means you have customers. So yeah, uh, <laughs> very, very happy that, uh, that I, I've been with Accelero for um, uh, about four years now and am uh, tradition, uh, transitioning into this role this year because we said, well, hey, you know, uh, we've got people using this and we need to formalize uh, support and have that available. So uh, that's what we're doing here. And, and that's myself. I have a, a background in uh, storage and um, uh, large-scale Linux and Unix uh, administration. So that's me in a nutshell. Oh, that's great. Well, having customers is always a great thing. You know, we first saw you at Storage Field Day 12. Ray was very impressed. I was extremely impressed with the speeds that you guys were able to get out of two SSDs, my lord. Why don't, why don't we start with a quick review of what NVMesh is and how the NVMe market is developing? Because it seems to me it's moving pretty well. It is. And um, you're both bringing up interesting points is that we, we came out and we kind of wowed the world with uh, the performance you could get out of off-the-shelf components. And that's really the, still the heart of NVMesh. So in a nutshell... Uh, NVMesh is software, and it's software that you add to off-the-shelf components such as servers, uh, 2550, 100 gigabit networking, and uh, standard NVMe drives. Uh, we put all these together, we pool this all as a resource, and we've really created this next-generation SAN product. So it's like storage area networking, uh, but instead of fiber channel, you can use Ethernet. Um, the benefit is, is that you get uh, half the cost of Fiber Channel 32, but three times the bandwidth. But beyond that, it works kind of like you think about it. And that's really our, our best uh, claim to fame is this crazy low latency uh, access to things that look like LUNs or virtual NVMe drives, but they go across the network so that you can go ahead and disaggregate your storage uh, if you want to and uh, get local performance. So that's our, our key thing. If I wrap it up, we're software. We allow you to pool NVMe resources over a network, access logical volumes carved out of that pool as if they were local. But you get the benefits of shared storage, such as redundancy, uh, the ability to have hosts fail, the, abil the, the ability to have drives fail. It's kind of like a top of a rack storage system. Is that how you see this? You could, but uh, a, on a typical top of rack, when we're talking about that today, there's there's been a lot of buzz about NVMe over fabric. Uh, and NVMe over fabric, uh, at first glance, if you don't dive into it, sounds like what you need for top of rack storage. That is, you put at the top of a rack a server with a bunch of NVMe drives, and you access those drives remotely with NVMe over Fiber Channel. But we like Fiber Channel. We're old storage guys. Uh, excuse me. You know what? I misspoke. Uh, I said NVMe over Fabric is what I meant to say. NVMe over Fiber Channel is another flavor of uh, NVMe over Fabric. But um, but it's important to understand here that uh, uh, Fiber Channel NVMe or 
NVMe over fabric, generally referring to an InfiniBand or an Ethernet fabric, um, is just a transport. It's just like saying fiber channel or saying iSCSI uh, or saying SRP. These are just the way you communicate from a client to a target. By itself, it doesn't imply any kind of management or the ability for multiple hosts to use the same resource or logical volumes or redundancy or any kind of protection. No, but that's... But that's not really a protocol's job. Exactly. I, I agree with you. Agree with you. I view NVMe over fabrics as very much like iSCSI in that it's, look, here's transport. And what we're transporting is NVMe where what we used to transport was SCSI. And we wrapped it in TCP for iSCSI or we wrapped it in FCP for fiber channel. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's where I just want to make sure folks listening, they understand the differentiation that you can put a rack of NVMe at the top of a rack and use off-the-shelf open source um, NVMe over fabric protocols. And you can access those drives remotely, but I like to call this remote DAS. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. You basically, you attach that. So you've you've succeeded in physically disaggregating. So there is a benefit. I'll have to admit there there is a benefit there, which is that you can make that top of rack server be specialized to hold NVMe, and then you're free to have your compute nodes uh, just be compute nodes that don't have to accept NVMe storage. But you're implying here that an NVMe mesh is, is above and beyond fabric? Absolutely, and, and that's what NVMesh gives you a complete storage solution instead of taking uh, 100 remote drives and treating them like 100 different entities. We treat it like you would a virtual all-flash array basically allowing you to carve out logical volumes uh, that can optionally have uh, RAID 0 striping or RAID 1 or RAID 10 uh, mirrored volumes. And these preserve the performance of NVMe. NVMesh itself preserves the latency of NVMe so that you can use these logical volumes like their physical drives. The, the client hosts think they have a local drive, but it's really a logical volume. Yeah, but it's a result. But it's a resilient logical volume. Exactly. And that's uh, so that was our claim to fame in, in having these resilient logical volumes perform like they were local. Uh, but what we're excited to see over the last year is this very, very solid adoption uh, of NVMe. Um, mm. Where NVMe drives uh, seem to be constantly in shortage, uh, which is good for the vendors. <laughs> Uh, bad for folks. Flash has been in shortage till just recently too. So. Yep, yep. But uh, NVMe, you might argue, at the top end shouldn't also be so constrained. But we're, you know, anytime we go to order drives, we're here. Our customers trying to order a significant number of drives. They are, uh, they're, they're kind of difficult to get. Well, that that's interesting because I heard at the Flash Memory Summit that NVMe drives had met the volume of SATA drives. Now, most of that is, you know, M.2 for laptop applications, but I think it's still an important indicator. Yeah, it is. There's another one I'm not sure people are talking about, though, is that uh, there's no real reason for an NVMe drive to be more expensive than a SATA drive, for example. The NAND is the same. Uh, and the controller, the, the drive vendors would tell you that, oh, they've got money sunk in the development and the controller is more expensive. But ask yourself what should be more expensive, a, a quote-unquote controller that, that takes uh, NVMe and, and translates directly to NAND or one that has to hook up to uh, PCIe, uh, convert that to a different 
uh, protocol via a bridge or a SAS or SATA controller, and then go ahead and communicate. It's, it's an NVMe controller is just simply not as complex. You wouldn't think, but maybe it has performance constraints on it that the SAS controller might not. Well, in the in the laptop market, you know, the the Marvell or IDT merchant controller that's in that SSD can't cost more than a dollar or two more than the SATA version, or people wouldn't put them in laptops. Right. So now the reason I bring this up is if you know that source cost on a SATA drive versus an NVMe drive uh, is barely different, especially if we're talking about the same um, class of drive. That is a, a you know a read opt. I'm, I'm not trying to compare a write optimized NVMe versus a read optimized SATA. I want the same class of drive. You know they're the same price. Which hmm, who in the world knows the pricing of drives and, and the components? The, the Super Eight. The Microsofts, Amazons, Facebooks, Googles, right. right? They insist on on cost plus. So if you know the cost of an NVMe drive is barely different, if at all, than a SATA drive, why wouldn't you buy NVMe drives for your flash needs instead of SATA? So therefore, I would submit to you that most of the consumption is going to the Super 8s, and as you said, also for the consumer devices. Um, so that's how it's it's all being sucked up. That's why the numbers are so high is if you had the choice between and they're the same cost, why wouldn't you choose NVMe? Oh, the the, the, the only reason I wouldn't choose NVMe is because I is slot availability. And if I'm buying new gear or designing new gear, I just design the right kind of slots in. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, so we're glad to see we're seeing that. And and with this now, um, it's still at the cutting edge, but at the at the cutting edge of people who are adopting this, they're now not just saying that I want NVMe just for the highest levels of performance. They're saying I want high levels of performance, but now I'm willing to give a little on the latency. Um, I need uh, I need I need the read latency to be just as good as as ever, but my write load is really not that high, and so I want to work more towards a, a capacity optimized layer of NVMe. Um, I want all that performance for reads. Right. I'm willing to give a little on the latency for writes, and 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 we're seeing this at the same time that uh, this is, you know, public information. Toshiba has announced a, uh, I think a 15 terabyte drive um, and eyeing in some of their press releases, a, an even larger drive. And when you start talking about drives with that kind of capacity, you're not talking about ultimate performance anymore. Even exactly. Even at four lanes of PCIe on the backside of that drive, it's going to bottleneck at the interface, not, at the flash. You don't think the controller is going to be a problem there? Well, no, it's, but it's the same logic as we used to use with spinning disks. And you don't put 400 drives on one fiber channel loop because you'll saturate it. Right. And right. you don't put 400 flash chips on one by four PCIe slot because you'll saturate it. Yeah, this is this is why some of the vendors with ridiculously large SSDs advertise unlimited uh, endurance because... You can't literally write data fast enough to damage it. Exactly. And you're talking about that 100 or the 128 uh, terabyte offering? Yes. Yeah, exactly. If you, if you can't, if you're limited by that by four, it's simply impossible to overwrite the drive enough times in its rated lifetime uh, because of that bottleneck there. Amazing that we're sitting here talking about a, a, you know, a, three, a 3.5 gigabyte per second interface as being a bottleneck. 
everything eventually becomes the bottleneck. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so nonetheless, we are, oh, we are seeing these drives. And so people are starting to say, you know what, uh, again, people kind of on that higher, not so much bleeding edge, but cutting edge saying, not only do I want NVMe, but I'm not content with NVMe just for the highest levels of performance. I want you to get me more efficiency. Uh, if I'm going to be filling out systems with eight terabyte or 16 terabyte drives, um, obviously I'm doing that because I need a, a lot of capacity and um, just mirroring in this case is not going to cut it for me, especially if, uh, if I don't have a heavy write load, if, if I'm, I'm mainly reads. And some of us are sufficiently paranoid that for production workloads, we would want you to mirror three ways. Exactly. And so, uh, so that, that is what we're seeing. And, and hence, um, you know, we're, we're responding with that. That's the direction of, of NVMesh is that we really have these areas uh, where we're, we're starting to see very quickly now a change that people are, are not only accepting NVMe, but uh, thinking that, okay, this is gonna become more mainstream. I'm gonna use this for capacity. It's, it's still for a tier zero to a tier one, but uh, they want that capacity optimization. They're, they're willing to yield on uh, the latency that those, these devices can provide and write. So when you say capacity optimization, are you talking about um, RAID versus mirroring or um, God forbid, dedupe or compression or something like that? Those will come, but I think it's always by a matter of degrees. So uh, a dedupe and compression on write is going to really severely impact latency. Well, depending on where you do it. If, 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 you, land, if, you, land, if you land data in a cache and hack it and then reduce it, that's true, and I am tainted by my own product. So we, uh, all the performance, if any of our claims uh, on performance are synchronous down to the drives. We don't ever cache. Right, and being all software, that's the best thing, because you don't, you don't have, you don't have NV DIMMs and special hardware and those things. Yep. So, uh, so we'll be reacting to that, or we are uh, reacting to that by adding uh, erasure coding or distributed RAID into our product. Um, it'll be branded uh, Mesh Protect, and that is coming out uh, in its first version. It will be uh, very similar to RAID 6 uh, in an 8, an 8 plus 2. So you'll get 80% usable capacity versus 50% usable on mirroring. OK, and, and NVMesh still does data placement in the client, right? A exactly. So the client now will uh, be directly talking uh, in, in a stripe of, in its simplest form, uh, eight plus two drives, so 10 drives total. Um, it'll be calculating parity, and it will be talking to those 10 drives directly and placing data and placing the parity. So the definition is still centrally managed, but once that definition is handed to the client and the client attaches to a logical volume, it's performing all IO directly to the hosts and or drives that, uh, that are contained in that host. And so um, the, the RAID stripe is, uh, is dedicated to, to those eight plus two drives. Is that how it work? Or is it uh, some sort of namespace? I'm not even sure what the, the terminology is that's, that's uh, carved out of the, of the drives on the back end. So um, it's, a good, it's a good question. Uh, we do it similar to how we do RAID 10, which is that uh, none of our methods ever take over a, an entire drive. That is, you're not fixed to drive sets. So this is not uh, like a traditional, when I say 10 drives, I don't mean you have to have 10 drives and we use the whole thing and that's a fixed size. Um, 
we allocate segments from at least 10 drives. And those segments can be of variable sizes. Now, the, the segments as you stripe have to be the same size. But I literally could, I could take a, a 100 megabyte or 100 gigabyte segment off of a, a one terabyte drive. And the other nine drives could be three terabyte drives. And I could still use only a, a 100 gig segment. And going across those 10, I would uh, create an, an 800 uh, gigabyte volume because there'd be eight 100 gigabyte segments for data and two for parity. Um, and so I can stripe these across multiple different drives. And your next question to me is going to be, well, what about in a drive failure? So we, we use excess capacity from the other drives in the pool to backfill those segments. So in the case of when you did have a drive failure, any segments that were in use on that drive would be replaced by alternate segments. And it, so it may not be a one-for-one -one replacement. Um, it's everything's on a per volume or logical volume basis. And, and on the same set of SSDs, I can intermix mirrored NVMe namespaces that I'm using for write-intensive applications and erasure-coded namespaces, right? Yep, absolutely. That's still, uh, and, and best practice is left up to, there's some suggestions on if you wanted to restrict that. Um, let's say you had some very high-performance, low-latency, uh, write-intensive drives. You could put those into a pool to say, you know what, only uh, RAID 1 or RAID 10 volume should only go to these drives. But these kind of um, NVMesh or Mesh Protect um, distributed RAID volumes here, these should go to these other drives. Uh, so we have, a, we have mechanisms to go ahead and create different pools. Okay. Yeah. So the other question would be, do you guys... So you, you mentioned that spare segments would be allocated across the other drives. Do you do like a hot spare drive or anything like that? Or, and the other question was, what, uh, what does a rebuild look like in, the, in this in the NVMe uh, mesh world? So the, uh, we'll break it down into those two questions. Uh, we don't, because we don't treat drives um, as whole entities, uh, you, can, you can allocate spare capacity. So we do have a mechanism uh, that we call provisioning groups. And in that, you can say, um, pre-reserve pre this space of these drives. So you could pre-allocate uh, uh, 20 terabytes in this VPG. And then in your volumes, if, if, every, if every drive is uh, three terabytes, let's say, uh, that means as long as you create a total number of volumes in that group that are 17 terabytes or less, you have three terabytes of spare space. Right, but I and but I so, could choose to be really paranoid and enforce that and say, you know, make yes. make sure that there's always one drive's worth of free space in this pool. Yeah, we can go ahead and via policies go ahead and and have uh, a pool defined that way. Yeah, I I have seen too many distributed erasure code systems that don't do that. Right, and you get in trouble when you have a failure. Yep. Oh yeah, it's like look, we have 500 gigabytes free, and a one terabyte drive just failed. Yeah. <laughs> That's not good. No, no, no. Bad things happen. And then to Ray's uh, point, um, in our system, uh, rebuilds are done not by the clients themselves, but um, they are done by our client-side functionality within the target server. That takes a little explanation. What I mean there is that the host that contains the drive uh, that or drives that uh, had a failure, it's the one that's responsible for doing the rebuild activity. So this way we don't have uh, somebody's, in an extreme case, you, you probably would really have it this way, but you wouldn't have somebody's uh, client desktop, maybe a, an M&E workstation 
on a 25 gigabit link, right? That's technically the client here. Uh, talking to these target systems that have multiple hundred gigabit links, you wouldn't want that client doing the rebuild. Uh, so the targets do it to each other. Now we do favor client-side IO over the rebuild. Um, so today, uh, today we allow the clients to have as much performance as they can get, and we kind of uh, make the rebuild go in the background. Although there are planned features around that, if you purposefully want to have the rebuild, for instance, complete as as fast as possible. I, sometimes I'd like to just say I want a minimum rebuild rate that I, I want to avoid forever. <laughs> Yes, yeah. So for today, we favor the client, um, but tomorrow we'll go ahead. And, and there are even ways today to speed up the rebuild uh, simply by having multiple clients participate in that. So what I mean by that is uh, on our rebuilds, and this was the same for our, our mirrored rebuilds, um, when, you, when a volume goes into a degraded mode, that is, it has to be rebuilt, and during that rebuild process, um, in a mirrored case, uh, we are only reading from the good mirror, um, and but we write to both locations, and that's both the, the 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 entity that's doing the rebuild plus any client side activity. So if you naturally have a clustered file system and you have multiple clients doing writes, all the clients will inadvertently help participate in the rebuild, because anytime they do writes, they will participate, and that's going to be the same thing for uh, for Mesh Protect. Is that uh, the difference is of course. Um, any, if, uh, if, it's, if it's a data drive that failed, you'll have to go ahead and use parity uh, to calculate the data for a read. Uh, but any writes that occur will go ahead and rebuild uh, basically a stripe. So that uh, the more clients you have simultaneously doing write activity, you'll actually naturally speed up the, uh, the rebuild. And so as a software release, uh, it's going to be available to all your current customer base and... and uh... Yeah, we're we're still. This is this is a big step up, um, in that we're going to have this uh, much higher efficiency. But uh, currently, the plan is to go ahead and allow anybody who's at 1.2 to go ahead and upgrade to 2.0 if they're under a current support contract. So there won't oh, be any additional good. charge. Yeah, and they won't have to re reformat the back end because they they're all mirrored today. And if they want to add, uh, you know, an erasure uh, group, they could. They can add new volumes. Yeah, if they wanted to convert an existing volume, they will have to go ahead and and. Uh, back that up and then um, and uh, restore it into a, a newly created volume. But yeah, if you have um, extra drives, you can just start using this and you know, off you go. Hey, this has been great. Howard, any last questions for Josh? Um, just, and this all runs over Rocky, right? Yeah, we, uh, we actually currently support uh, Rocky on Ethernet. We still support InfiniBand, but we, I think we see about 80% of our deployments. Um, on Ethernet. And, uh, you know, who knows, there could be some surprises coming too of supporting a much more commonly accepted protocol. Oh, goody, Fiber Channel. <laughs> <laughs> Please, let's not go there. I wasn't thinking Fiber Channel, but that, that's a possibility. But I was thinking yeah, more yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, something something on Ethernet that's not rocky. So Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And since we just said it, uh, yeah, the uh, TCPIP is definitely a consideration. Okay. Josh, anything you'd like to say to our listening audience before we go off? Uh, no, uh, you know it's always a pleasure to get the message out there. Uh, I hope people find this uh, interesting, even if only for the market, you know, perspective on what's happening with NVMe. Um, we're seeing a lot of adoption. We're seeing uh, also a lot of excitement around NVMe uh, over fabrics, and um, 
I think NB Mesh just you know can use these and really make this into a storage system for you. And uh, always glad to bring that message out. All right. Well, this has been great. Thank you very much, Josh, for being on our show today. And thank you, Howard. Thank you, Ray. Thanks to Accelero for sponsoring this podcast. Next time, we will talk with another system storage technology person. Any questions you want us to ask, please let us know. And if you enjoy our podcast, tell your friends about it. Please review us on iTunes and Google Play, as this will also help get the word out. That's it for now. Bye, Howard. Bye, Ray. Bye, Josh. (laughs) Bye-bye, Ray. Until next time. (laughs) 